Welcome to Sable International's Wealthcast. I'm Sean Ritchie. We're here with Mike Abbott, Director of Sable's Wealth Division, and Neil Pretorius, a Senior Financial Planner. Today we're going to be looking at investment and the markets in the time of COVID-19. Mike, Neil, thank you for joining us. To start with, as financial planners, what do you see as the economic impact from COVID-19 globally, in the UK, and in South Africa? You know, the glo- the impact of this COVID-19 is obviously massive and, is, and very significant across the globe. Definitely in the UK, in the US, Europe, we're only just starting to understand the impact that, that took place in China as they begin to normalize. And in the UK, on, on the UK side, we've now got, as we go into 2021 next year, we'll have the interplay between a COVID recovery and uh, and the, the Brexit, the real Brexit actually starting to happen. So there's obviously concerns about how those two issues interact with each other. But the, the thing that's notable and, and unusual about this coronavirus recession that we're going into now is just the, the sheer velocity of the economic downturn is unlike anything we've ever seen before. The latest projections on the US side are are that GDP could contract anywhere between 24 and 35%, which is double any previous record. So the velocity is incredibly severe, and therefore one would hope for a, a fairly quick recovery when it comes. Um, but that's really the, the the really unusual aspect of this crisis so far. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think from what, what we haven't seen as yet, uh, which will probably only start coming to light you know, through the next quarter, is is the actual earnings figures uh, on, on companies both domestically and internationally. Mm. So I think there's still a bit of a bit of a shock to come, which is probably introduce, mm. you know, volatility, which we might not have seen yet, but certainly ongoing volatility. I mean, South Africa is really just right at the start of all this. They have they have had some some input there. Reserve Bank has come in. They've lowered some barriers to the banks to be able to lend, but liquidity is going to be a key issue going forward. I, I would agree. And Neil, the, the, what is also interesting is from you know from the South African side, the package that's been put forward, you know, to try and deal with coronavirus is around one percent of GDP, whereas the package you're looking at on the US side is about ten percent of GDP. So there's a significant gap there which is going to hamper the recovery for South Africa. Yeah, absolutely. The big difference is South Africa doesn't seem to have the capacity to deal with this properly. Um, we've seen what, what's happened to, to the government um, through the last 20 years and that. So where, where's the money actually coming from? And then we had the double whammy with, with the downgrade that has now finally happened and the potential for deeper downgrades to happen from the other rating agencies as well, whilst we are trying to deal with this. And what does the stimulus package look like for the United Kingdom? The UK stimulus package, I believe, is around 8%. And on a call with, with Goldman Sachs last week, quite a few of the economists have had a look at what they call the income gap. And the income gap is the difference, the expected loss of, of national income as a result of the lockdown and the size of these packages that have been put forward. And in Europe, the UK and the US, that gap is actually quite well matched. So the loss of national income compared to the packages that have been put forward have been quite well matched. So the question therefore is is about how long the lockdown actually goes on. Because if the lockdown is quite short and we're all you know back to work and sort of normalized by June, particularly middle of May and or June, then those stimulus packages look to be what was required. In South African terms, they're well short of what's required. Um, but it all depends on how long how long the lockdown goes on. On the subject of recovery, 
There's been a lot of talk in the press around V-shape versus U-shape recoveries. Which do you think is more likely? Initially starting out, it looked like a V-shape recovery was possible because the infection wave in China end to end was about three and a half months. But uh, over time, what's become clear is China was better able to execute on the lockdown. Uh, just by the nature of the culture in that society, the degree to which the state is able to control people's movements and monitor it and how much data they've got. So, you know, the, the more successful a lockdown, the quicker one is able to return to normal. And the lockdowns have not been nearly as successful in, in other parts of the West, most significantly in the US, where the lockdown hasn't been, you know, complete or total at all. So, that's the real question as to if one doesn't do the lockdown or isn't able to do the lockdown properly, then do you end up with a problem going on for much longer? So that that's really the, the, the issue at play here. But at the moment, it's looking more like a U-shaped recovery. And the question is, depending on how long the lockdown goes on, uh, you might get actual real damage to the structure of the economy, which will then hamper the recovery. But if the lockdown doesn't go on too long, then we shouldn't. We should just have an income gap and not an actual solvency crisis. And then you know the recovery can really can really take place. And then we should some should see some pretty interesting month-on-month GDP improvements. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Uh, there's been talking in South Africa from some of the commentators there that they could be looking at, at an L-shaped rec- uh, recovery, given all these structural issues that they are facing at the moment um, and the likely extend of the of the lockdown itself it's just been extended how long it can continue for yeah people need to get to work that you can lock down a person but you can't lock down the need for them to access food and access water etc so there is a time where you just cannot manage this going forward and there's also the huge potential for unemployment as many small businesses can't actually survive an extended lockdown correct and and once this is why it's all about the period of time that the lockdown the, the lockdown goes on because at that point when businesses fail and your large sec parts of your SME sector because they're the biggest employers globally in you know in all the different economies that is the SMEs when when they start having mass failures you start getting you know investors get wiped out both on the equity and the debt side people are left without jobs that part of the economy actually shrinks so its capacity to employ is damaged and therefore you can't have a robust uh, recovery because that part of the economy has actually disappeared so that's why this this lockdown period of time is 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 absolutely where where all the discussion needs to be at. And I know the IMF are planning to, are making comments on that today at their um, you know, global stability briefing at 11.30 this morning. What does China's economy look like now that they're coming to the end of their lockdown period and are starting to reduce restrictions? At the moment, the economic damage looks like a 10% shrink in GDP. Um, that's uh, seems to be the consensus estimate by various economists, but those are economists outside of China that are trying to estimate this based on you know purchasing managers indexes and the like. The geolocation data that comes out of China, which is significantly dense data, it's really good data, suggests that China is back to to ninety percent of normal in terms of movements of people and movements of uh, of goods. But the the contraction looks like it was ten percent, which for an economy of that size is absolutely huge. What kind of impact do you think this is going to have in the current power struggle between the U.S. and China? Well, I, I just I just think China's come out of the whole thing looking a bit better than the U.S. You know, in terms of a country that's able to protect its citizens from something like an epidemic, they were able to move more quickly. Yes, 
I know they've been blamed by the U.S. for allowing the whole thing to start in the first place, but uh, it's they certainly once they realized what they were dealing with, uh, the lockdown was very effective. But in terms of how it will play out in the geopolitics, I honestly have no have no idea. Yeah, it's, yeah. The difference in the lockdown, really, I think, between China and, and most of the Western world is just the different political system that that we do have. They're far more totalitarian state. The people are used to obeying orders, and they, you know, the, the army and the government will lock them down and keep them there. Whereas us in the West tend to have a bit of a different outlook in life. Uh, a lot more liberal. Uh, you'll see the Americans protesting. You know, gun shops are supposed to be open. This is apparently essential to have in the in the time of a crisis like this. It's it's just the total different viewpoints uh, that that the different societies have, I think, and that that makes all the difference. We've seen it in South Africa as well, where you have in the townships and you know, the people just not bothering to to obey the lockdown rules even in the suburbs people want to go walk their dogs you know lockdown is lockdown but there mm. seems to be a bit of a history of you know not obeying the law having this necessary respect for the law and it's how the different governments basically deal with it at the end of the day what's the political situation going to look like afterwards and that's anybody's guess at this point i think moving to matters a little closer to home what has been the impact you've seen on investments that you manage for clients well, looking through our portfolios, and we've got a number of different series of portfolios, and you know, looking at our our core and our core plus models, the three month number is obviously the interesting one. You know, in our core models, you've got everything from our our most conservative model being you know down at one odd percent to the more aggressive ones being down fifteen percent over three months. So you know, these are significant drawdowns. But interestingly, these portfolios looked at through the RAND, just for South African resident investors and in, in terms of their offshore investments, they're positive across the board with the least aggressive or the most conservative portfolios having the better returns. You know, our near cash portfolio in RAND terms has done 17% over three months. Um, so that just shows you what the RAND how the rand has moved against the pound, for example, uh, and the rand move against the dollar has been even more significant. But yes, we, I mean, we have seen drawdowns in these portfolios. The markets themselves are down uh, around 25 to 30 percent, depending on which ex, uh, which index you look at. So these these are are fairly significant drawdowns. But you know, they they sh- they could be quite in terms of volatility uh, or, or velocity. There could be quite a strong recovery at some point when the market starts to price in the world beyond COVID-19. And the thing that I think the market is struggling to get a handle on is that whole V-shape, U-shape recovery issue and whether there's going to be long-term damage to these economies. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it's been, been a case of the portfolios that we do manage having behaved in line with expectations, what we would expect them to do given the market circumstances. And we we, sh- we should see them on the rebound, as Mike said, as well, behave in exactly those same ways. The, the fact is these kind of drawdowns has occurred before. They will ag- occur again in the future. That's a simple fact, but it's a question of managing, not panicking, and making sure that that investment philosophy or policy that you do have, wherever you're on the risk scale, that you don't go and tamper with it in times like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we when we test our models prior to to this when we when we uh, revised our methodology back in 2014 we tested these models back 30 years and a a balanced investor should at any time be willing to accept a between 17 and 23% drawdown in order to enjoy the upside of a of a of a balanced portfolio which over a 20 year period has been about 7% uh, in pound terms so 
these drawdowns are not unusual in terms of bear markets numbers that we're used to seeing. What could be the case with Corona is that these drawdowns are very short in duration. So in terms of a bear market, this could be one of the shortest bear markets we've seen because it's been a very severe drawdown and 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 there is a good possibility that the world will return back to normal, certainly a form of normal in, in a fairly short order. Speaking about a return to normal, or lack thereof. How has the weakening of the RAND affected investment decisions for South African-based investors? Well, the RAND is obviously a very significant bellwether for South African investors you know, looking to invest offshore because that's the trade that uh, is a one-way trade. It's only done once and therefore you, you, you price in and build in that re- return or that exchange rate at that point in time. So, you know, we did a roadshow just before this all kicked off in South Africa. And, you know, a lot of the investors that were ready to move funds have have chosen to wait. The problem is that we've had a downgrade between now and then. And, and we've, as a unit, we've been warning about this downgrade being inevitable for about four years now, that at some point in time, the fiscal position would deteriorate. Corona's just been, it wasn't even actually the coronavirus that, that caused the downgrade. The downgrade was going to happen anyway. But you've now got a double whammy of a investment grade down downgrade at the same time as you've got this risk-off crisis where fund managers around the world go into risk-off mode and start buying U.S. treasuries. So that's why you're seeing a strength of the dollar, which has weakened the rand, and the rand is a risk currency. So that's why the rand is weakened. It's not obvious that the rand will come back to levels that people have used to seeing before. When where there's a huge pull to risk off, the most benchmarks around the world will overcorrect, will go too far and then come back a bit. But I would encourage South African investors not to see the rand and the pound, for example, in terms of 18 to 1 going forward. I just think those post downgrade, we're not going to see those numbers again for some time. And if we do, that'll just be for short periods of time. Everyone should be adjusting their expectation for a weaker rand, I think, going forward. It might not stay where it is now, but I don't see it returning back to 18 and staying there for long periods of time. Yeah, I think in the short term, you probably see a further weakening. There was a bit of a rally or a bit of a bounce last week, but that didn't, it hasn't done anything major if you if you look at the at the barriers that they were trying to push. So I had a, a long conversation with one of the large banks in SA, and they reckon in the short term, you know, looking at mid-year, the RAND will be pushing 24 to the pound. Mm. And so it should come back at some point, but to what level? Again, there's it, it so much dependent on what happens with this coronavirus response. We have the downgrade. The, the median rating could, could go down further, which would put further pressure on the RAND. And in the short term, yeah, I don't think you've got any place to hide in the RAND. Uh, if, you, if you're a long-term investor in South Africa, you know, there, there are some serious choices you need to make both in terms of the RAND as well as diversification. Do I remain now only in SA and forego the rest of the world with the hope of just looking at currency? Or do you? what do you do in those cases? And those are very, very hard decisions to get people to make and, and come to terms with in terms of what these strategies might be. Because we are very much in a fundamentally different situation compared to the last time when the RAND hit these levels in 2016. We we are in a in a in a different position, but it's it's also worthwhile for rand investors to remember. So our our portfolio one, which is a hundred percent fixed income, so it's global fixed income, it's denominated in pounds. That portfolio in rand terms has done one hundred and eighty one percent over ten years. Now that's through a period where offshore interest rates have been very low. 
So that's the return over 10 years one can generate by just having no risk at all by being in hard currencies. So you've got to weigh that situation with the current movement to the RAND in context, that there is a an opportunity cost for being in RANDs for South African investor because of the riskiness of the currency and the fact that the currency moves by these magnitudes whenever there's a global event. So there's some tough decisions for South African investors holding RANDs wanting to buy offshore assets, but our view would be to not take the view that there are better days for the RANDs down the line, simply because the RANDs now in a very different category for international investors. So the period of time leading up to this, the South African bond market offered very attractive returns for an investment grade bond market relative to to the bond markets in the developed world, in the US, UK, Europe, and Japan, which were around a third of the bonds in those markets were offering negative yields, whereas the South African market was offering positive yields in the region of 6%. Going forward, the world we're going to be in now is there's going to be investment opportunities everywhere because all assets have been downgraded. All assets have been reduced in price and therefore will look attractive. So I just don't think the, the, the RAND is going to enjoy that international buyer bringing the RAND back to 1817 and holding it there. Moving away from currencies, what should retail clients be thinking about from the personal finance perspective as we move through lockdown? Well, obviously the this kind of sell-off is a, is a really interesting opportunity for investors because it was triggered by an external shock. So there's, it didn't come from within the economy. So the road to a recovery is a little bit more obvious in this crisis than in any other. Um, the world has a very, everyone has a very strong desire to return to normal and to do continue with their normal spending habits. So there's a bit more of a clearer path to a recovery with this crisis than others, which suggests that the markets really are offering very interesting value right now. But what we would suggest to clients to think about is setting up new investment accounts or structuring investments, getting anything set up to take advantage of this, even if one has the view that there's still a bit more of a downturn to come. Let's say, for example, one thinks there's another 10% to go and the worst news is not out yet, the earnings calls haven't happened, so it's all going to get worse before it gets better. That might be the case, but to do anything in the world of financial planning, create accounts, set up accounts, all of this has to now be done virtually through video calls, without the postal service at your disposal, it's much harder to do and it takes longer. So we're very busy with our clients in terms in, in terms of what, what I would call preparedness in setting up accounts, getting ready, getting accounts funded so that we can start phasing into a market that's probably quite close to the bottom, um, or at least the bottom is most likely to happen over the next three months. Yes, I would agree fully with that. And as Mike says, a lot of our time has been spent on that with clients we were dealing with we are dealing with is just getting that position to get into the market. The last thing you want to do is hit the bottom, start the rebound, and you've got a month or six weeks to, to go through before you can get anything set up. Uh, you could have missed the entire rally. I think that's a good spot to start wrapping up. We've covered a lot of ground today. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Yeah, it's tough times for everybody out there. I look at conversations, both, you know, you have personally with friends and family across the globe. Everybody's anxious about what's going on. Some of them have lost their jobs. Some of them have got reduced incomes. And uh, it's it's scary for people. Mm -hmm. And it's a question of realizing that at some point this will be over. And governments, they are not perfect. None of them are. 
are trying trying their best to handle these the situations as best they can. For individuals, as a case, I think you know, stay safe, protect what you can, but be ready. This when this changes, you want you want to be part of that change. Uh, I think the world will look slightly different once we through this, but certainly it, I don't think it's the time to you know crawl into a hole and 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 just try and stay there. Um, you, you've got to get out, um, get ready for for the new dawn, so to speak. Thanks for that. And Mike, any comments from your side? Yeah, I think I would echo um, one of Neil's comments there about let's not forget this is temporary in nature. I think we're getting to a point that I would uh, use the label of peak horror of where the virus starts to get very close. Everyone starts to know people who've been infected, might know a few people who've been lost to the virus. And there's lots of talk in the press about permanent damage to economies, about not being able to ever return to a world that's normal. Um, I think what we've got to remember is, you know, in China, it was a three and three and a half month wave. It is a wave. It does have an end. And what's different year on year, as we d- develop as economies around the world, we're moving more towards an information and entrepreneurial economy. And this is, ha- this is a global trend. So I just think the readiness of individuals of a larger number of the populations around the world to come up with new business ideas and start new businesses and do things in an entrepreneurial way, we've never been as agile as a business community as we are now. So the our ability to recover from these sorts of things, I think, is at its highest that it's ever been. So as long as the lockdown doesn't go on long enough to create a solvency or financial crisis, I think we could have a fairly steep recovery and this uh, we could return mostly to normal by the beginning of next year. So I'm quite, for someone who who's generally quite risk averse doing what I do. I'm quite optimistic about the recovery for this one. And I think it's just really important as we get into the darkest hour of this thing to just remember that the dawn is not very far away. Well, that's a positive note to end off on. That's all we have for this edition of the Wealthcast. If you're interested in more expert analysis and opinion, please visit us at www.sableinternational.com or you can also email us at wealth at sableinternational.com. 